0: Everything in real estate investing really is a mindset. It's a choice. I could have curled into
1: a ball and died. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, unbelievable real estate stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to That Really Happened. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate us. Me and my team would appreciate it so, so much. And you can always go to my website, elliepearlman.com and listen to the podcast episodes and also read the show notes. Our guest today is Paige Panzerello. Paige has been in real estate and investing for over 20 years. She has experienced everything from operating her own residential and commercial, Commercial construction and acquisition companies to buy and hold residential and commercial investing and much more. Currently, Paige is focusing on non-performing notes and has been successful in completing over $150 million worth of real estate transactions to date. That's super impressive. Paige is a founding member of the Women's Real Estate Network. She can be heard on numerous podcasts like this one, was featured in a Wall Street Journal article and teaches a workshop called Building Wealth with Notes. She is the cash flow chick. Hey, Paige, I'm super excited to have you on the show today. I'm really happy to be here, Ali. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really love your energy. And I think uh, your story is also really, really interesting. So Paige is going to share with us a story about how she lost everything and then found her true passion in note investing. So what seemed to be uh, like a tragic story actually ended up being a story about, you know, rising from the ashes and rebuilding. So I'm super excited to hear that story so so tell us, Paige, you said that you have been investing for over 20 years. How old were you when you started and how did you start investing in real estate?
0: I was young, Ellie. I was early to mid-20s. I'm not going to give you an exact age, <laughs> <laughs> but I was young and I was in over my head. I, I, did not. I had a little different start to my real estate investing career. I was thrown into the deep end of the pool and it was sink or swim. Uh, I had no experience in real estate investing, but my grandmother had a large estate. So I started my career by virtue of inheritance. And when she passed away, the estate, they had, she had properties both in Arizona and California. So at my early age, I went off to Arizona knowing nothing about real estate investing. And I started my career in buy and hold we had 38 townhome units, 40% of which were occupied. So we had a huge vacancy rate and wow. the, the estate was severely in debt. We were about $4 million in debt. So that's
1: how I started. <laughs> wow. So you're a young woman and still is, but you're basically a kid and you're getting this inherit. I mean, you inherit real estate, which usually is a good thing, right? And then you just discover that it's in debt. Yes. Severely yeah. in debt. Severe. Wow.
0: But you know, it was a great experience for me, and I quickly realized that as long as I asked questions and surrounded myself with people that had the answers that I was going to be okay. And I discovered, you know, early on that I had a passion for it. I didn't even know I had a passion for real estate investing until I was thrown into it. And I have a head for it. You know, my brain just works with real estate investing. And so it was quite a match. And it, I, I'm very
1: thankful for it to this day. And when your grandma was alive, were you ever, you know, interested in in understanding how she bought the properties and how she's man- she was managing them? Or you were kind of on your own...
0: I was so young, I didn't know what I wanted to do. All I knew is that I wanted to be an an entrepreneur. (laughs) I didn't want a job, right? I didn't want to work for somebody else. That much I did know, but I didn't know where that was going to take me. And when this happened, you know, again, I just quickly realized that I had a head for it and that I was really good at asking questions. And I didn't feel embarrassed about asking those questions because I didn't have the answers and I needed the answers to be successful. So that was great for me.
1: What did you do with the, you know, the portfolio that you inherited that was actually in debt? How did you feel, first of all, when you understood that, wait a minute, there's a problem here. And, you know, actually now I own, maybe not own, but I don't owe it. But I have a four million dollar problem. That's a huge number, you know, to wrap your head around it. You know, when especially when you're in your 20s, how did you feel?
0: Well, I mean, it was, again, it was a little overwhelming at first because it wasn't just the the townhome units. We also owned a sewer treatment plant. We also owned um, land and it was under threat of being taken away. Now, you know, I looked at it this way. You asked me how I felt. Yeah, I was a little overwhelmed, but I really looked at it as an opportunity for growth. I thought to myself... I didn't start with this so you know it's in place we inherited my family inherited it Um, and so if I can make a go of it and if I can bring it back in the black it could be potentially very lucrative but the flip side of that coin was that if we lost it really there I I had nothing to lose by trying to bring it back and if we lost it then we lost it and at least I learned something Fortunately, I didn't, you know, we didn't have that problem. I was able to turn the $4 million in debt around in less than three years and brought it back into the black. How did you do that? I worked with, I contacted everybody that we owed money to. I explained the situation and I said to them, I'm going to do everything in my power to pay you. Will you work with me? And they did. And I did, and that was the thing, you know, I was, I had the integrity and and to go and do what I said I was going to do. And it did take a while. I mean, it took, and people were patient with me, but because I contacted them and was honest with them, and I told them what my plan was, and how I was going to pay them, and then I executed it, everything worked out beautifully. Uh, that,
1: That sounds amazing. It almost sounds too easy you know you call someone <laughs> you call someone and say hey i owe you a bunch of money can do you mind waiting i promise i promise i'll i'll pay you back how did you manage to convince them
0: i just was honest and when you're honest with people and you're not trying to pull one over on them Um, you, and you tell them legitimately what you think you can do, and then you actually prove to them that you're doing it, they're going to work with you. I mean, there was one company that I literally, we, it was a couple thousand dollars and I proposed paying them for the first year at $25 a month, just to prove to them that I could. And they at first, you know, balked at it, but I said, listen, I don't want to promise you something that I can't deliver. If I can pay you more, I'm going to pay you more. I'm going to pay you off quickly. And I did. But the original arrangement was, you know, something that I could deliver. I didn't want to to make a promise I couldn't keep,
1: and so they realized that. I think so. That's great. So you you're you're able to, you know, you got a bunch of properties and real estate and you know, assets. You found out that you were in a huge debt because of you know that portfolio, and then you managed in three years to, you know, pay all the debt. So besides, you know, talking with, with, you know, the people that you owed money to, how were you able to make it a profitable? Did you, you know, did you fix the property? What exactly did you do to make it, to bring it back on track?
0: I did. I really worked, I worked with a contractor and I said to the contractor and, and some vendors, um, I explained the situation. I said, this is what I need to do. This is how I can pay you. And I went, Fourth, and I didn't realize I was rehabbing properties without, you know, knowing that I was rehabbing properties. <laughs> so we were, we were. I was able to fix, you know, a couple of units and then get them rented. And once I got them rented, you know, then we had some money coming in. And then I fixed a couple more and we got them rented. And and within a pretty short period of time, you know, less than twelve months, I was able to have it fully rented. So we were one hundred percent occupied, and I made rents affordable. That was the other thing, you know, because the, the property, the area was conducive to, it's a very small boutique area and the rents that, that my grandmother and the estate was trying to charge initially, people couldn't afford. And so I made it affordable so they could, and we got quality
1: tenants in there. That's pretty awesome. Did, Did you enjoy doing that? Did you enjoy manage the, the, the property Interesting. And then what happened?
0: I didn't enjoy managing the property because I, like I said, I I found out that I was not, I'm not a good property manager, meaning Mm -hmm. managing the tenants because I've got a really big heart and everybody's got a story. And so that was not good for me. I put a property manager in (laughs) place, but I did enjoy the construction part of it, which actually Mm -hmm. kind of parlayed me into what my next, you know, conquest was, which you know, once we got the the townhomes back in the black, um, I said, okay, what are we going to do with this sewer treatment plant? What are we going to do with this land? And I realized, you know, that that we needed to leverage the townhome units and sell those off to be able to develop the land. And my family wanted no part of that, so. I ended up buying the company from my family in order to develop the land. I sold off the sewer treatment plant to the district. They handled it, which was great. And then I started building on the land. And I, I quickly realized that the contractors that I had hired to build my project, which was fascinating to me, I designed the whole thing, again, knowing nothing about construction or design or anything. It was so fun to me, and I had a brain for it. So. But back to the story, I realized that the contractor was basically going to bankrupt me before I was coming out of the ground. And so I said to him, I fired him, and I started surrounding myself again with people that were in the know. I found a contractor that was willing to come on board as the qualifying party, and I started my own corporation that was a construction company. So I had several corporations at the time. Some of them were for acquisition. Others were for construction. He was a qualifying party we ended up having 36 employees in three years we were building we held all of our licenses except for HVAC and roofing and the reason that we didn't have those is because the insurance was too much and we were just rocking and rolling and and building like crazy we were building our own projects we were building other people's projects and I was
1: having a lot of fun That sounds really interesting. You're, you're actually able, again, from an issue that a problem that you had, you said, Okay, I'm just going to go and fix it, instead of being overwhelmed. And from there, you just grew. So it's the second time that in in your career, from the day you started that you actually had an an obstacle that not only you you fixed it, but you used that to kind of leverage yourself to the next, you know, step. Very interesting. And what happened with that company? with a construction company?
0: Well, 2007 happened. If any, I know that a lot of people that are out there that you know have had, were in real estate at that time, 2007 came crashing down literally right on top of me. And the funny thing is, is that I saw it coming. I really did, I saw it coming. I knew that it wasn't going to be sustainable, what was happening in the housing market. I just didn't think, you know, here's my young naivete, is that I didn't think it was gonna happen to me because i was only leveraged about 10%, right? i was making i was making money hand over fist. i was young, i was single, i was having a lot of fun, i was making tons of money. i had liquidity, you know, i had cash, i had other assets, other buy and hold properties elsewhere, and i had a lot of large equipment because i was a construction company and my own projects. i had gone on to to buy other projects and, and start building other projects. And then what i didn't realize though is that everybody who owed me money wasn't going to be able to pay me that lending absolutely just froze up completely and when you're in big construction at least at the time you're you're footing the bill for 90 to 120 days so you don't get your reimbursement for you know three to four months and when i was carrying payroll at 36 employees you can imagine much cash went out the door so 2007 literally brought me to my knees and I we tried to you know we took pay cuts across the board we tried to stay open but at one point we just said you know I, I can't do it anymore there's just not you know there's not enough money and so I had to close the construction company and let 36 families go and that hurt a lot but I will tell you that I had the option of filing bankruptcy I did not I was in a place where I made a choice. And you know, you talked earlier about a couple obstacles. Everything that I'm telling you about and everything in real estate investing really is a mindset, it's a choice. I could have curled into a ball and died, I didn't. I chose every day to get up for three years and make sure that I was doing everything in my power to pay everybody that I owed because I had investors at the time I had vendors that I had to pay so I fire sailed everything it took me three years and I paid everybody back but at the end of the day I lost 20 million dollars and I mean it's a huge number it's a huge number but I'll tell you honestly Ellie it was devastating But it was a blessing also, because what I didn't realize is that I was working myself to death. Literally, it was going to put me in an early grave. I was working 18 hours a day, seven days a week. And my health was starting to suffer. You know, my family was in California. I was in Arizona. You know, so it really did end up being a blessing for
1: me. Wow, that's a great way of looking at things. I don't know if... I would have been able to see it in a positive, you know, light or trying to see, okay, I just lost $20 million, but it actually saved me because, you know, my health was, was on the line and I was maybe doing well in one, one part of my, my life, but not, you know, when it comes to everything else or one other part. That's, well, don't
0: get, don't yeah. get me wrong, Ellie. I mean, it, I didn't think of it as
1: a blessing at the time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's in hindsight. Okay. Of course, you know. how did you cope with that? How did you cope with you know making a lot of money and being a very, very dedicated entrepreneur who sounds like you gave everything literally everything to to you know the company. How do you cope with that when you're in that moment?
0: again, it's a choice. I had a choice to make. I could choose to to let it cripple me and let it paralyze me forever. Or I could choose to make my mind up to do everything I can, you know, to, to make everybody else whole, um, which brings a good feeling to me. And honestly, I have investors to this day because of that, uh, mm-hmm. because I made them whole. They know the sacrifice. And it, that makes me feel good that I did what I said I was going to do. But yeah, I mean, it was devastating, of course, at the time. But after I was able to step away from the ruin, after I was able to step away and and, you know, take part in looking back at it and saying, okay, now what? I made that choice to come back into real estate investing after a little while. Right. And do it again because I wasn't going to let anything paralyze me. And, in all honesty, I started with nothing b- when I built that up. If I did it once, why can't I do it again? and so that was the mindset that i that I took on, and it
1: kind of became a mantra for me. I love it. I love it. I think definitely a big part of success and i think in any field is the mindset and even if you're extremely successful but you're stressed out and you don't you don't go with the right mindset i think you will you will suffer at some point so you know, understanding that is is not it's something that it takes time i read a book called mindset i don't know if you if you've read it also but the growth mindset and i don't know if it changed my life but it definitely made me look at at things differently and it's still it's still a progress it's still kind of you know i'm getting there i definitely need to do some more work but i think mindset is definitely definitely a big part of success and how you maintain quality of life because quality of life is not only how much money you have in the bank it's a lot of things
0: absolutely and that's the thing you know when i came back into real estate investing i thought okay That experience absolutely changed me completely. It really taught me about who I am as a person, who I am as an investor, what my risk tolerances are, um, and it really just morphed me into the person that I am today, into the investor that I am today. And that all it was made possible by mindset. It it, really—it's a choice.
1: It's a choice. Yeah, I can totally understand that. So how did you get from that point to investing in notes?
0: (laughs) Well, as I said, when you lose $20 million, you have a tendency to to take a step back and reevaluate, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So when I came back into real estate investing, I started, you know, I had to rebuild. So I did. I started wholesaling. I started fixing and flipping. I was doing tax liens and tax deed sales. Um, I was doing everything that that I, I thought was going to bring me to what I felt comfortable with. And I even though I was good at it and I made money at it, it didn't feel like home. I really wanted to be able to be in an investing strategy where not only where I had control, because in two thousand and seven, I didn't have control. At all. And so I wanted an investing medium where I had control over at least the bulk of the process. And so when I started studying notes, um, when I first came back in, I thought, oh my goodness. And literally, angels sang for me because there's a tremendous amount of control in this space. And I can generate chunks of cash. I can generate streams of monthly cash flow in the same medium, in the same vehicle. And I'm the one that is in control because I literally become the bank for people. So that's what node investing is about. And for me, it just angel sang, and I love it.
1: I understand that this is what you focus on today. Do you see it as more of a a passive business versus, you know, construction business where you actually, you're out there, you know, all day, you're, you're building something, you're, you're, or you're buying properties. How different is it? It is different. The the nice thing about node investing is that I am not location specific. Mm -hmm. So
0: I literally can do this business from anywhere in the world, as long as I have a phone and a computer. Uh, literally. When you're in fixing and flipping, you have to be near your properties unless you've got a stellar team that's out of state. There are plenty of yeah. successful fix and flippers that do that, but boy, do you have to have really great teams that you've developed. And then you still have to have a handle on it. You know, Note investing is a little different in that it's, it's not location specific, but it can be as active as you want it to be, or as passive as you want it to be. I focus mostly on first position non-performing notes in secured by residential real estate. There are some, I am involved in some commercial assets as well. But In the first position, you you, again, you can choose to be, if you do non-performing notes, it's a little more active in that you're managing your teams. You have to put teams in place like anything, but you can also buy performing notes and have that monthly cash flow without the headache of tenants and toilets. It's as active or as passive as you want it to be, which again, gives you that control and the control that I sought so desperately
1: coming back into real estate investing. That's interesting. So you completely kind of um you know rebuilt yourself and in a totally different kind of aspect it's interesting that you um you actually tried multiple avenue of of real estate besides construction after you know 07 and that was the thing that resonated with you that that's a thing that I'm assuming that and I don't invest in notes but I'm assuming that there's a lot less stress involved with it Was it part of the decision of, you know, of the, one of the reasons of why you decided to go, you know, in that path?
0: It is, you know, again, I, I told you before that, that I look at 07 as my blessing because I was putting myself in an early grave. I have so much control in note investing. Yeah. That's part of the reason. The other reason though, is because I went through 2007, I know what it's like Ellie to have life happen to me because it did. It absolutely happened to me and it brought me to my knees. And there are so many people that are out there that I deal, me and my team deal with on on a daily basis that have just had life happen to them. And I am, I'm in a position where I can have, and I have the opportunity to help people. So I actually get to help people give them a second chance if they qualify. Not not everybody qualifies, right? Because mm-hmm. remember, everybody has a story. Yeah. But there are there are people out there that just, you know, they had a death in the family. They had a divorce. They had a medical condition. And they got behind in their mortgage payments. And the big banks didn't care, right? But I'm in a position where I actually get to help keep them in their home. And I make quite a profit doing it. So that is another reason I chose note investing because I I can make money while helping people get back on their feet because that was huge for me. You know, I needed support to help get me back on my feet and
1: and that's kind of my pay it forward as well that's fantastic it's really hard i think to find you know you know that you're passionate about real estate but helping people can can be challenging if you're kind of maybe in the wrong wrong side of real estate so you gotta have a stomach for that i think you know ev- evicting a family is something that as much as as lucrative that could be i think that can also be challenging so that's interesting have you ever have has it ever gone that turned to be so drastically? So because if you owned a note, I'm assuming that if it's non performing, then what's the worst case scenario that can happen?
0: Sure. I mean, uh, obviously, my goal is to buy the note and work with the homeowner, the borrower uh, mm-hmm. to be able to get them to reperform. But the worst case yeah. scenario is that we do have a foreclosure. Um, there are borrowers that just don't they won't you know they've been beat up by the big banks and they don't respond to my team's efforts to reach out to them to try and help them or they don't qualify i mean there are plenty of people that are out there that they don't qualify and and so the tactic that we take you know the it's heartbreaking to me if we actually have to foreclose and then also go through an eviction that does happen occasionally, not as, not as often as you might think. My team and myself take a different approach. Um, We try and give people dignity and let them leave with dignity. We try and help them, you know, by offering them perhaps for cash for keys, um, get them a little starting money, you know, to get back on their feet. Because there is a difference between the heart hat that I wear and the hard hat. This is a business. I'm not a philanthropy. Um, So sometimes I have to take off the heart hat and put on the hard hat so I'm protecting my investors' funds. But we treat people with respect and dignity and you'd be surprised how often you're able to come to a nice resolve for everybody as opposed to to having the worst happen where we have a foreclosure and an eviction. But we do everything in our
1: power to try and prevent that. That's awesome. So you've been uh, doing that for the past five years. That's great. How do you see the next correction or recession, if it's going to be a recession? How do you think that's going to impact your industry, the note industry?
0: That's the beauty part of notes is that because if you buy them well, and there's you know there's a lot of due diligence that goes into notes more more so than I think, in my opinion, any other form of real estate investing. But if you know, again, if you know the due diligence steps to take and if you know the questions to ask, you can mitigate that risk, which was really big for me. That being said, when you buy a note well, because we are buying notes not based on the unpaid principal balance of the note okay, we buy based on the current market value of the securing collateral, meaning the house, so we do an evaluation of the property that's collateralizing our loan that we're looking to buy, and then we discount it from there. Sometimes it's a drastic discount, sometimes it's a little less, but you always make the deal conform to you, not the other way around. Typically, on average, for first position non-performing notes in in and around the country, we're looking at anywhere between it used to be anywhere between 36 and, and 48%, you know, on the you know, cents on the dollar. Now, now it's gone up a little bit. Um, it's, it's averaging about 55, 56 cents on the dollar. So you, when you buy it at a discount like that, you're, you're building in an equity cushion. You're building in and mitigating your risk. So to your question, Ellie, if the market drops, which we all know, we see it, the writing is on the wall, the recession is, is the slowdown has already been happening, some areas more than others. If the market drops 20%, I'm okay because I've built in that equity cushion as opposed to other forms of real estate investing. If you only have a 15% equity cushion, if it drops 20, you're now in the whole five. So for me, that's, this, that's part of why Angel's saying there's a whole lot of control and a, a ton of ways to mitigate risk. We also have 23 three different ways to mitigate risk. So in our exit strategies, 23 exit strategies.
1: No other form of real estate investing has that. So That's pretty impressive. Well, thank you so much, Paige, for sharing your story and also chatting about note investing. I definitely learned some new stuff today. So Paige, if you could look back and give your 20-year-old self a piece of advice, what would it be?
0: You know, people have asked me, what would you do differently? And my answer is always, I really wouldn't. I wouldn't do anything differently because I learned. I learned who I am. It shaped me as a person. It shaped me as an investor. I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly what my risk tolerances are. I know exactly how I want to interact and collaborate with people. And had that experience not happened to me, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I'm back stronger than ever. So I wouldn't change anything. I think I may tell the 20-year-old person, 20 and a few (laughs) person, to live a little more. You know, don't work 18-hour days.
1: But other than that, I wouldn't change a thing. Amazing. Thank you so much for this answer. Very inspiring. So Paige, where can our listeners find you? Absolutely. If
0: you go to cashflowchick.com, you can schedule a 30-minute appointment with me. I'm I'm happy to talk with you and answer any questions. If you're interested in the workshop that I do teach, you you mentioned it before, Ellie. It's called Building Wealth with Notes. So if you go to buildingwealthwithnotes.com, you can get some information about my three-day hands-on workshop. It's live and in person. So you get to spend three days with me. It's a lot of fun, but it's also a fire hose of information. You get people walk out excited and and overwhelmed all at the same time. But yeah, the best way is cashflowchick.com or you can send me an email at info at cashflowchick.com.
1: All right. Perfect. Thank you so much, Paige, for being here today and sharing your story it was really great. And, you know, I really enjoyed, you know, your mindset, your energy, and the wisdom that you brought, you know, to me and to the listeners. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Ellie. It's been fun.